coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. This is your host, Sean Sparkman. I'm really excited to be bringing you today a man by the name of Sari Ibrahim. He is a bank-on-yourself advisor, and he's got a very interesting angle into the real estate investing markets and how you can use this technique. So, Sari, thank you very much for being on the show today. Hey, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Can you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, so I am currently a financial planner and uh, insurance agent. I'm also a member of the Bank on Yourself community, the Bank on Yourself organization. I started off in this industry about five years ago when I was in grad school. I was doing my uh, master's, my MBA. And during that time, I was working at Allstate Insurance as a consultant. I was do- working on like business, uh, business insurance, commercial insurance, and like risk mitigation strategies. And then I kind of changed careers during that time into Medicare. So I was working for different insurance companies like Blue Cross, Blue Shields, Humana, Cigna, HealthSpring. And I was a, like a Medicare broker where I would work with retirees, people who were around 64 years old, leaving their employer plan to get on their own employer plan. So I would, I would help them make that transition into their own individual Medicare plan. I did that for a couple of years. And then during that time, one of my Medicare clients asked me if I could help him with life insurance. And he mentioned something about it having cash value and it growing. And I didn't really understand much of what he was talking about, but we had a good relationship. And I told him I would do a little bit more research and I'll get back to him. One of the ways I like to learn is I like to, I like to read books. So I went to Amazon and I started searching for books about life insurance. And one of the books that came up is The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And for those of you who are not familiar with this concept, the concept pretty much talks about using cash value whole life insurance, mainly for the living benefits, for the cash use, rather than the death benefit. Even though that's an important piece to the puzzle, it's more about what you could do with that money while you're alive. And there's a lot you could do with it. So I kind of really was, I became very interested in this concept. I purchased my own policy. I became a client. And I also went through their eight-week rigorous training program, the Bank on Yourself professional program, and became an authorized professional. And then since then, I've been helping clients spread the message. I've been you know, on podcasts and, and talking about this concept because I'm so passionate about it and I see the value in it. And I see it especially compared to other investment routes that, that people take. And not to get too far into that, but I just see, I just love the guarantees about it. And that's what I've been doing since. You mentioned that you went to college and you got an MBA. You, you know, not a lot of MBA people decide to go into, in this case, selling Medicare supplement insurance. So <laughs> what? how did that transition happen for you? Yeah, awesome question. Yeah. So um, it kind of, just, I just fell into it. I met a, a general broker, somebody who had agents under him, and he introduced me to this and he said, this is very rewarding. It's very lucrative. And it is. And usually with insurance agents, they like they find out about one product and then it kind of connects with other products. So that's what happened with me. I found out about Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage and prescription drug plans. And then that led me to life insurance. So I guess I was kind of, in a sense, you know, building my career, but at the same time, uh, following opportunities. So it kind of just happened. And once I kind of understood Medicare, I was like, wow, this is actually really important. You know, like you could actually protect, you know, 20% of your co-insurance, your co-pays with, you know, original Medicare. And it, it all kind of bundled together. And clients, another thing too is 
clients really really appreciated what I was doing for them. They I wasn't just, you know, selling them something. I was actually like solving their problems, putting it all together for them, making it more understandable, and they would refer me to other people. And I was like, yeah, this is actually working. You know, it's actually it's a proven model, it's actually working. So I just stuck with it and kind of expanded on it. So really what you're you're doing is you're you're serving the people that you're meeting with, right? You're not just, like you said, selling something to them and then you're on your way. You're actually serving their needs and you're helping them to meet with something that they, they have to have, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And I, and I love that mindset. And I talk a lot about mindsets and I bring people on the show because I, I love talking about that positive mindset and, you know, how do you help other people? And that's why, you know, I started this podcast is trying to get out people like you that are out there that are serving, that are really just bringing things to the marketplace and to people as individuals that they can use to help them to live a better lifestyle. So how is it that you and your daily practice, you're really serving your clients? Everything I do, I keep my eye on the problems out there, the problems that people have. Originally it was with Medicare. Now it's more towards financial planning. So I'm watching the problems that people have. I'm communicating with people. I'm understanding the problems. And I only try to solve those problems. If if the solution I have or the, the product or service I have doesn't solve that problem, then I don't recommend it. And I think that this is pretty applicable. It's not just for Medicare. It's not just for financial planning. You know, it's in every career, every industry, I think that the it's all about the problem solving part of it. It's about identifying, keeping your eye on the, the problems in the marketplace, the problems within your prospects and clients, and then trying to fill that gap or fill that need with the solution you have, with the product or service you have. So that's, that's what I do. I keep my eye only on the problems that people have and try to add that gap to them as a, as a professional, as a trusted advisor, as an advocate to them. We were talking about value and how you're serving your clients and you're doing that through finding the issues that they're having on a daily basis. You call them problems and you're solving for those problems and then filling them with products. And I, I love that approach because I think it's the right way when you're dealing with clients. It's how much value can I bring you? It's not about what can you get out of the client, which I think is a big deal because there's a, you know, a lot of people out there that may not think that way. So I love what you're doing. Now, what type of problems and issues are you seeing in the financial planning realm right now? And what are clients bringing to you? Yeah, awesome question. Yeah, so some of the problems I'm currently seeing are like, number one, like market risk. There's a lot of uncertainty now with, with the markets, you know, um, who knows what's going to happen next year. 2020 was it, you know, the best year, especially financially wise. A lot of people were laid off and the pandemic changed. The pandemic pretty much changed the next like 100 years for sure. So there's a lot of uncertainty now with the markets. And I think that that's obviously a problem for a lot of people. And with the bank on yourself concept, if you're familiar with the concept, it's, it has a lot of guarantees behind it. And it, it could be, depending on the situation, depending on the client and everything, it could definitely be a solution to that person's needs. And now we never, and, and back to the value part, Sean, we never kind of assume that we could just help people. It has to be like a, a diagnosis phase or, or a financial analysis phase where we're digging and and finding out what where the client is currently at, what they're what they're currently going through, what they've implemented in the past, how it has worked, and then we build off of that. We build the bank on yourself solution based off what we uncover during the financial analysis. So and, and we've been seeing a lot of clients have been they kind of have a bad taste when it comes to market risk, you know, because you don't, I think the most important thing about money is predictability, what's going to happen to it. And especially in terms of retirement, 
you know, and trying to guess what's going to happen, trying to play the markets, trying to play with your money in, in a way that's like gambling with your retirement, that I don't agree with. And again, I'm not bashing. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, talk about, you know, don't invest in the stock market. That's not what I'm about. I'm just saying that I think predictability is the most important aspect of money. And that's what I try to show clients. They, they could predict where their money goes by solving the mar- market risk problem. You know, that's all a matter of who's the client and what are their goals that they're trying to accomplish, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's hard to say, you know, just in the dark, which way is right or which way is wrong for every single person that's out there. You know, every person is completely unique. And that, that's why I like the approach of, like you said, you do a financial analysis because it may not be right for this person and it may be right for that person. So what does your ideal client look like? Like, What type of person are they? How old are they? What is it that you're looking for where the bank on yourself solution can really help them and serve them? Yeah, yeah. Good question. So I I typically, um, I don't have like a, a target demographic that I only work with. Lately, it's been real estate investors, people who either have full-time W-2 positions and on the side, they do real estate investing or they're full-time real estate investors. They're self-employed. That's all they do is just real estate investing. And and the reason why is because real estate investing has a pretty unique touch with the bank on yourself concept in that. So back to the problem thing, one problem that I've been seeing a lot of real estate investors have is that there's kind of like this struggle between a liquidity and having cash to to be able to buy deals or use as down payments for uh, in connection with loans or having cash sit somewhere and not earn interest on it. So kind of real estate investors, obviously, they hate having just cash on hand, just sitting in a bank account because they're losing opportunity costs all that money. There's inflation. There's other things that they could be using that money for. But then when they invest those funds into real estate, now there's a liquidity problem where how do they you know, get that money out of that property? They have to either sell it or refinance but that there could be a gap in between that time period. And then especially if there's like an issue with the market or an issue with banks lending out money because banks don't always give money to people, even when they have good credits and good financials, banks aren't always lending. So there's kind of this like struggle in between like, what do you do? Do you just constantly keep reinvesting every dollar you have or do you save a portion? So the bank on yourself concept fits perfect, in my opinion, fits perfectly in between that struggle because you can fund this asset, this safe asset that's been around for over 160 years that has a liquid aspect to it. It's not just life insurance. It has a cash value arm or branch to it. And that branch grows every year. It earns dividends from the insurance company it's a part of. So you could fund it as a real estate investor. You could fund this policy, grow it, and then be able to borrow out of the cash value out of it to literally bank on yourself or to become your own source of financing. And then we be able to pay yourself back on your own terms so you're not at the mercy of banks or other lenders. You can control the payback period and your money continues to grow even though you're using it because you're not deducting from the cash value, you're borrowing against it. So you can utilize this in many different ways. And one of those ways is through real estate investing. And that's kind of the niche I've been seeing lately from podcasting, from the content I've been putting out there that real estate investors kind of like to talk, learn a little bit about this. And that's kind of the angle I've been taking more is just towards real estate investors or they could be you know, W-2 full-time employees. They work for companies and on the side, they're doing real estate investing to build an additional retirement layer. And Bank on Yourself also could be another retirement layer. So they have numerous sources of income in retirement. And that's pretty much kind of like how I've been you know, positioning th- this niche. So you're really focused on that real estate investor market. And I, I found your comment about cash to be very interesting because uh, have you ever heard of Ray Dalio? You know who he uh, is? Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, remind me. Where's 
Where's he yeah, from? Yeah, Ray Dalio is a uh, very famous hedge fund manager. Been in, mm-hmm. been in the business for years and years and years. Uh, he's got a actually a fantastic book that I absolutely love. I've been rereading it lately. It's called Principles. The, you know, bestseller on the New York Times and whatnot. I'm not trying to plug for him, but <laughs> the reason I'm bringing it up is because Ray has a comment that he makes, and you can you've seen you can see it over and over again about cash and how much he hates cash. And the reason that he hates cash is he, he says it's one of the worst investments that you could ever possibly make to have large amounts of money in cash because that cash is subject to all the risks of inflation, currency risk, et cetera. And so you can lose your value and your money very quickly. So, you know, it's interesting that you're taking that cash and you're placing it into another vehicle where it's still accessible, and but it has the backing and the guarantees and you're still earning some type of interest. So, you know, that's a, a cool concept. And I think that could be used for a lot of different people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, I, I agree what he's saying is that cash in that sense is it's very risky. You know, there's a lot of risk involved. But I think that you're even though considering what he said, I still think that you still need cash though. Like you still need to have access to liquidity. In other words, you'd be trading your cash for assets or other investments, but then you still need to be able to liquidate and move around and still be able to live and and be able to invest in other things to be able to fund your retirement. So in other words, your cash has to live somewhere. And I agree with you 100%. So you have to have access to cash and liquidity. Ray Dalio was talking about how he doesn't like cash as an investment vehicle, but the purpose is that you still have to have cash, like you were saying, because you have to have liquidity to be able to do whatever it is you need to do. You can never eliminate it. But as far as holding large amounts in cash, that's where you can place it in better places where it can serve you and actually work for you instead of working against you, right? Exactly. Yes. And I love what you're doing with the real estate investors and that, that you're serving, you're helping to meet and solve all these problems. And what, what really led you to going down the real estate investor arm as opposed to, say, working with retirees or somebody else? Yeah, it, it started with my mentor, Mark Willis, who's also a bank on yourself professional. He's one of the top bank on yourself professionals. He's my mentor and direct upline agent. So he has he's the host of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, and he talks a lot about real estate. So I was actually on his show and I kind of kind of started getting on other real estate shows. It was originally just to pitch the bank on yourself or not pitch, but to talk more about the bank on yourself concept generally. And then I started seeing real estate investors kind of respond to it positively. And I was like, there could be something here to look into more. And, and there is obviously. So that's kind of how it kind of merged together. It's kind of like how I talked about earlier with like the Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage and how it kind of just kind of leads you, even though you're building your career, things kind of pull you and, and lead you to, to different ways. That's how exactly what happened here with Bank on Yourself and Real Estate. Well, I want to switch gears just a little bit as we start to wrap up the show. And I want to ask you a couple of personal questions. And yeah. I ask these of everybody that comes on the show. So what is something that you have failed at in life? I failed at a lot of things. Uh, the first time I went self-employed, became an entrepreneur, I failed at that. I had to quit that and go back to being a W-2 employee. So that's one thing. Yeah, and the reason I bring it up is because I believe that failure is the key to success. I mean, there's a lot of things that add into it, but without failure, we, we, we don't learn. You know, I, I've failed a ton of times. Every person on this planet 
is very intimate with failure because we're not perfect human beings. So that, that's why I'm asking. I think it's interesting that you bring up the self-employed and that you had to go back to a W-2 because then eventually you went back out into owning your own business again. So what was that whole transition like and where did you fail and how did you come out of it? So it was a really interesting transition. There's a lot of things that I didn't see coming, you know, things that you can't necessarily read in a book or just find out from a mentor. It's something you actually have to do. And and when I failed at it, the reason why I failed at it is I didn't have enough capital. I wasn't earning enough sales. I wasn't getting paid in time to be able to sustain my bills. And, and I learned from it, you know, obviously, you know, liquidity, cash, you know, that's a very important thing or being able to borrow at reasonable rates. So then the, the second time I went self-employed, I was like, oh, you know what? I, I have a list of 20 things not to do like the first time. And the top of the list was, you know, have additional sources of income, have extra cash reserves saved up, have access to low interest loans that you can use to build your business in the meantime. So I already had those things lined up, the mistakes I had made. And I knew that I should have to do the opposite of those mistakes. Now, let's just say I avoided the failure. I, did, I never wanted the failure to begin with. I would have never known those things. I would have never known that. In other words, I w my second time being self-employed was much stronger than the first time. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. And I, I think that's an important understanding is going out there and failing is okay. <laughs> and then you, as long as you take it and you learn from it and you don't internalize it and let it be toxic, then you can use it to propel yourself the next time you go to do something, which is really cool. And I think it applies to everybody in life and not just in the business world, right? It's in mm -hmm. your relationships and whatever it is that you're doing. My next question is related 100% to this one. And it's, well, I want you to share something. It doesn't have to be professional. It's up to you what you want to share. But what is something that you've been successful at? I've been successful at, I've been, I've been successful at listening to people. I've been, I've been really good at just listening and more listening than speaking. And it's something that obviously my job requires. And yeah, I think that, you know, it's something that took practice, but I've definitely, I've become good at that. Yeah, and that's an important skill and it is a skill yeah, and it takes actual, because <laughs> I know, uh, you know, for myself, like it, that was a hard thing to learn. You know, a lot of people that are in our type of industry, we like to talk. <laughs> and so, yeah. so, you know, as much as we just want to get everything out there, sometimes learning that skill is the most important thing. And it's what really brings, I think, the connection with other people, whether it's you and I or a client or whoever it is that you're talking to, that skill of being able to listen to what they're actually saying is, I think, the most important thing. So last couple questions. Uh, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. What are you curious about? I'm really curious about, you know, how money works on a, on a much larger scale, on an international international level, on a historical level. I'm just very curious about money. But <laughs> yeah. it, it's amazing how deep you can go with the understanding of money and markets and all that stuff. And, it, you know, it's a lifetime of education. But it's a cool thing because you can never stop learning, right? And, yep. and that's another key to success. Sari, are there any questions that I should have asked you that I didn't? Yeah, I really appreciate being on, and we went through a lot of pretty cool things. Yeah, and if uh, listeners want to learn more or find out more, they can uh, reach out to me. Yeah, they can go to uh, my website, finassetsprotection.com, F-I-N, assetsprotection.com. And listeners, and we'll also have in the show notes a link to Sari's website. So if you are interested in learning more from him, you can get in touch with him. Sari, thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. And I think this is some valuable information and you know, mostly about how you're serving people. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 
And thank you for listening today to the Safe and Sound podcast. This is your host, Sean Sparkman. Uh, This has been another episode of trying to help get people out to you that can help you to build a safe and sound lifestyle. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.